It's another day and another Orioles free agent rumor involving a starting pitcher. We know the O's are certainly looking for one, but could James Paxton be the guy the Orioles go after this offseason? Plus, we'll talk about Kobe Mayo, potential position chains, and a minor league signing coming up on this Orioles news and notes episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles. Your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, January 15th, 2024, and welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are getting to three topics here on the pod today. The Orioles have some reported interest in free agent starter James Paxton. We'll talk about what he could bring to the Orioles and if it would be a good idea to go after a high upside but um, very high risk pitcher at this point for Paxton. Then we'll talk a bit about Kobe Mayo's Rockabaco reporting that uh, he's working out at a new position. Could right field be the best place for Kobe Mayo's future in the major leagues. And finally, the Orioles made a minor league signing as well last week. And we'll get to it all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50 plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com and use the code Locked On to get $20 off your order. That's jasemedical.com. So we're here on a Monday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Many of you I know off work today. Hope you are enjoying the long weekend. Uh, nobody tell John Angelos that I'm here talking about baseball on MLK Day. But we got a little Orioles news and notes to get to. And wanted to start with James Paxton. He is the most recent pitcher to be connected to the Orioles. Now, I know my last episode came back on Thursday night. Talked about Marcus Stroman, how he was connected to the O's. And a mere hour after I had posted that video. It might have been even less than an hour. Marcus Stroman signed a two-year deal with the Yankees. So it will not be Marcus Stroman. Now I talked about Ryan Brazier. He is still a free agent. But let's get to James Paxton. John Heyman reporting last week that the Orioles have shown interest in Paxton. And it was just kind of a nugget in a John Heyman notes column. But he also said, hey, the Orioles are checking everywhere for starting pitching. But Paxton was the only guy he specifically mentioned. So let's talk about... Could James Paxton be a help to the Orioles rotation? Now, if you look at the free agency matrix created by John Becker of Fangraphs, which pulls together every single free agency projection and gives you one average number, that average contract projection for Paxton this offseason is for him to get a one-year $10 million deal. That is certainly something the Orioles are willing to do. How do I know that? They literally gave out a one-year $10 million deal to Kyle Gibson last offseason to be their number five starter. And if James Paxton did come in, he would most likely be the Orioles' number five starter. You would kind of solidify that role at this point. And even if you didn't make another move, you would go into the season with a grouping of Bradish, Rodriguez, Means, Kramer, and Paxton. And then you would have Tyler Wells and Cole Irvin kind of right there to try to win the five spot or at least be depth in starting pitching for the O's. That's why I've talked about... You know, I'd love to get a top of the rotation guy, but at the very least, the Orioles need to bring in someone who you feel good about being one of their five starters. So then Wells and Irvin can be depth instead of either Wells or Irvin having to be one of your starters. And although Tyler Wells has been really good, Irvin was good in the past when he was with the A's. For multiple different reasons, you could not count on either of those guys throughout a full season last year. But that's the thing about James Paxton. 
can you really count on him through a full season? Now, James Paxton, first of all, he's a left-hander, which is nice, but he's also 35 years old. He's seemingly winding down towards the end of his big league career. Now, he was a former draft pick of the Mariners, and he got to the big leagues with Seattle in 2013, and he was with the Mariners initially in a six-year stint from 2013 to 2018, and he was pretty good, but he just struggled to stay on the field for an entire season. I mean, you look at the laundry list of injuries James Paxton has had. Lat strain, missed time in 2014. Finger tendon strain, missed time in 2015. Elbow contusion, took him out for time in 2016. Forearm strain and a strained pectoral, took him out for time in 2017. 2018, he had a lower back issue. He had a forearm issue, two different injuries that took him out for chunks of time. And the most innings he has pitched in a year was 2018, his final year with the Mariners. He threw 160 and a third innings. For a lot of pitchers who stay healthy, that's like a solid middle-of-the-road season. For James Paxton, that is number one for him. Then he was traded to the Yankees that offseason and put in a, a good year with the Yankees in 2019. But again, he threw 150 and two-thirds innings that year, and that is still to this day his second most innings he has ever thrown in a season. So you're not looking at a true innings eater who's going to run it up to 180, 190, pushing 200 like a guy like Kyle Gibson did last year for the O's. So Paxton certainly would not be a one-for-one -one replacement for Gibson. Now, when Paxton's been on the mound, it's been good. His kind of peak of his career was 2016 through 2019 with the Mariners and then the Yankees. Now, he only averaged 142 innings per season, which you'd like to see more than that. But in that stretch, he had a 3.60 ERA, 11 strikeouts per nine, only two walks per nine. Really, really good numbers when he was on the mound in that stretch. Well, then he got more injuries with the Yankees. Had a knee issue in 2019. Then he got back surgery in February of 2020. Only threw 20 innings in that shortened season. Was not good. And then he was back with Seattle in 2021. They re-signed him to a deal. And he throws one start gets injured, and has to get Tommy John surgery in April of 2021. And it took a long time for him to come back. Not only did he miss basically all of 2021, he also missed all of the 2022 season, never quite made it back to the big leagues, was pitching some in rehab, but just never got back to the big leagues in 2022. And it really did take a while. Like, he was not activated until May 10th of 2023. That is when he returned to the mound after he had signed a deal with the Boston Red Sox. And that is where he pitched last year. Now he had another different injury, had another knee issue come up in September in kind of the first week of September that took him out for the remainder of the 2023 season. So he didn't pitch in April and basically didn't pitch in September last year either. And otherwise he was okay. He made 19 starts. He threw 96 innings for the Red Sox at a 4.50 ERA. Solid ground ball rate, good strikeout rate, 25%, 8% walk rate, right around league average. Like he was just, he was a solid, okay pitcher when he was on the mound for those 19 starts. But once again, how much can you trust him to be out there? Now, one thing to keep in mind when you're looking at the stats, basically his first real season since 2019 for James Paxton. So to go out there and still be, you know, league average for 19 starts at age 34 is at least nice to see. So there's two sides to this coin. One is, okay, he hasn't pitched anything close to a full season since 2019, had multiple injuries since then, had a two-year recovery from Tommy John, and he's 35 years old. What does he really have left in the tank? The flip side of it is, hey, he was still somewhat effective in 19 starts, having not pitched in basically four years, and 
The velocity of his pitches was still up. His fastball, four-seam fastball, averaged 95.2 miles per hour. When he was at his best in 2018 and 2019, his average fastball was 95.4. So essentially, it's the same velocity he had back then, and that's after back issues and knee issues and a Tommy John surgery. That is certainly a good thing. Now, Paxton also throws a curveball, a cutter, a changeup, and a sinker. And really, when he was at his best with Seattle, it was the fastball, curveball, cutter combination that made him really, really good back when he threw the no-hitter with the Mariners. That's when he was great. Now, his cutter and curveball weren't as good in 2023, but they still looked like really good secondary pitches. A lot of cutters to righties, a lot of curveballs to lefties. And it looked somewhat close to the old James Paxton. So if the Orioles think, hey, you know, now he's a full go off of Tommy John, he's kind of, you know, reasserted himself. He's thrown those 19 starts to get his feel back. And the Orioles are not going to expect him to throw the 190 plus innings that they got from Kyle Gibson last year. That is not what you would bring in James Paxton to do. Quite honestly, I mean, at this point at 35 with the injury history, you probably can't like safely count on more than 120 innings maybe from James Paxton. But on a per inning basis, when Paxton's been out there, he's been good. And if he's healthy and you can get a really good 120 innings for $10 million, That's worth it. Like, if you think about it this way, the Orioles brought in Craig Kimbrell to be their Bautista fill-in for $13 million for next year. They're going to get, at the absolute tippy-top most, maybe 75 innings from Craig Kimbrell. If you get 120 from Paxton for $10 million, it's a pretty good investment as long as he is a solid pitcher, which I think he still is at this point, even at age 35, now knowing he's fully healthy off the Tommy John. It seems like the knee injury late last year, not an issue either. He'll be ready to go for spring training. Now, what I'm not saying is that, oh, if the O's went and got James Paxton on a one-year deal, they'd be set and ready to go. Let's get to spring training. No, no, no. James Paxton is the move you make to fill out the rotation. I've come into this offseason saying the Orioles need one starter, but it would be awesome if the Orioles got two starters, one at the top, maybe one at the bottom, because the O's have a lot of guys in the middle right now on their roster. So James Paxton, I think, would be a fantastic complement to a deal for a Dylan Cease type, a Jesus Lazardo type at the top of their rotation. Then you could go like this. Say you went and got Dylan Cease. You could have a top three in whatever order of Bradish, Rodriguez, and Cease. You know, they'd be your top three guys. And then you would have Dean Kramer, John Means, and James Paxton and your veteran guy all fighting it out for those final two spots. And it's fine to have six guys because, listen, John Means threw four starts last year off Tommy John and then re-injured his elbow. Now, he seems to be fine, but there was a mishap last year. James Paxton did throw 19 starts, but still was coming off Tommy John and has a long injury history. And Dean Kramer, although he's a solid option, is not a guy who you're expecting to be a number one or two. He's more of a back end of the rotation guy who's going to give you some solid starts. You combine all that, plus you throw in Tyler Wells, where, yeah, Tyler Wells was the Orioles' best starter in the first half last year and then gave the Orioles absolutely nothing and ended up in double-A in the second half last year until he returned in mid-September. So if you could combine a stretch of good pitching from Wells before his body gives out, a stretch of good pitching from Paxton before he gets injured, and a stretch of good pitching at some point from Means, because there's still a lot of questions for his season, you combine those three guys along with Kramer, And out of those four pitchers, you need two starters, essentially. You can get, you know, 190 to 200 innings 
each spot in the rotation out of those four guys. And does it seem like, yeah, you're going into the season with too many pitchers? There's no such thing as too many starting pitchers. And you would still have, you would still have Cole Irvin behind all of those guys as depth for your rotation. I think that would make the Paxton signing look really good if it was the complement to a top of the rotation. If it would just be Paxton, you'd have to kind of reassess. He'd probably be the O's number five starter. Maybe you'd fit him in, as I said, with Tyler Wells, where you try to put them both together with the durability issues of Wells and the injury issues of Paxton and hope they come together to give you 200 innings out of that five spot. That's better than what the O's have right now. Don't get me wrong. Paxton makes the team better. But this would need to be more of a complimentary move than the one and only starting pitching move that the O's would make this offseason. But speaking of moves that the O's could make, not all of them necessarily moves, decisions that are made have to come from adding players outside the organization. It can also be, and the O's have shown a pretty good job of being able to do this over the past few years, changing things about the players they have currently on their team and currently in their system to make them better and help them fit the roster better. And that could be happening with one of their top prospects, Kobe Mayo, this offseason. We'll get to what that change could be coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. What a weekend it has been so far of the NFL playoffs. And listen, with weather pushing the Steelers game to today, we've got two more NFL playoff games here on a Monday. I mean, for football fans, what more... Can you ask than two playoff football games throughout the day on a Monday here? But as the NFL season is wrapping up, there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. And the app is so easy to use, there are so many different ways to bet like live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and you can do so much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup at FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. So with all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply, eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. So we're back here on a Monday episode. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Locked on Orioles podcast. And remember to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles podcast right here on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, you may notice the background again looks a little different. As I've mentioned, I've been in the middle of a move, moved to the new house here earlier this week, and still haven't done the full unpacking. For many of you who have moved, you might know. It takes a while to really unpack everything. Still working on all the Orioles memorabilia, so the 
background behind me is going to start to look different over the next few episodes. Right now, looks a little better, right? At least it's not a white wall back there, but we're working on it um, in the background. But if you want to see the background, want to see me as I talk about the O's, again, like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. But now we're going to talk about Kobe Mayo. And Rock Kabako of MassInSports.com writing a story and reporting about Kobe Mayo over the past few weeks. And one of the nuggets he put in there is that, you know, he has seen Kobe Mayo is working out in right field this offseason. And now Mayo, he was drafted as a third baseman. Fourth round pick out of high school back in the 2020 draft. He was committed to the University of Florida, one of the best college baseball programs in the country. Mayo is one of the top recruits in the country heading to Florida. However, the Orioles did some, you know, shenanigans, not shenanigans, but they moved some money around with that draft pool. They saved some money by selecting Heston Kerstad with the second overall pick. And with some of that money they saved, not only did they get Jordan Westberg later in that draft, but they were also able to send some more money to Kobe Mayo and pry him away from Florida and instead get him to sign with the Orioles. And that has worked out so far because Mayo has become a consensus top 100 prospect in baseball and a consensus top five prospect in the Orioles system, which just voted by executives around the league, is still the number one minor league system in all of Major League Baseball. Now, Mayo was drafted as a third baseman, right? Right field is not his position. And third base is what he has played 75, 80% of the time in the minor leagues. Now, the Orioles have played him at first base some throughout the minors just to get him a look at a different position and get other guys into the lineup. But he has not even played a single inning in the outfield in his time in the minor leagues. He made it up to AAA last year, dominated AA Bowie early in the season, went to AAA Norfolk, was not as good, but was still pretty good. Hit 267 with a 393 on base and a 512 slugging, 12 home runs, a 16% walk rate, which is incredible, one of the best in the league, and a 23% strikeout rate for Kobe Mayo at AAA last year. Like, yeah, it's a little high, but compared to, you know, Kobe Mayo's age, you know, barely being 21 years old at this point, and compared to the, the fact that Kobe Mayo, you know, he was seen as kind of a free swinger, maybe a guy who strikes out too much, 23% is not bad at all for a guy that young in his first stint in AAA. You add it all up, it's a 127 WRC plus in AAA Norfolk last year. He put on a show, and now he's going to come to big league spring training trying to win a spot out of camp. Now, I don't think there's really any chance Kobe Mayo is on the Orioles opening day roster, but I think there's a good chance at some point Kobe Mayo is in an Orioles uniform in the big leagues at some point in 2024. The question would just be, what role does he play and what position does he play? And again, he's been mainly a third baseman, but right field, if he's working out there, which I think is a really good thing, could be a better spot for him to get onto this big league roster. And it's it's been funny, kind of my number one go-to for prospects is Eric Longenhagen. He is the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs. And when he does the Orioles write-ups and talks about Kobe Mayo, when he does his top prospect list in the Orioles system, he generally will list Kobe Mayo as a right fielder. Despite the fact that Mayo was drafted as a third baseman, despite he's only played third and first in the minor leagues for the O's so far, Longenhagen always lists him as a right fielder, and he talks about it in the blurbs. He says the arm, the athleticism, I think he will move out to a corner outfield spot. And Mayo could do it, I think. He's, he's athletic. Again, he's got a cannon, absolute rocket for an arm, which would be fun to watch. It's already fun to watch coming from third base, but it would be maybe even more fun to watch coming from the outfield, getting outfield assists, throwing guys out at the plate. But maybe this could give him a quicker path to the major leagues. Now, on one hand, 
if the Orioles are teaching him a new position, it does give them another excuse to hold him down in AAA. Say, oh, you know, Mayo's still working on his right field defense. We want to keep him in AAA to do that. But on the flip side, if you think about the future of the O's outfield for a while here, it's been, oh, the O's outfield is more crowded than the infield is. I think that has definitely flipped at this point. The Orioles infield is now much more crowded than the outfield. You take a look at that infield. I mean, as long as any of these guys don't get dealt, I mean, Gunnar Henderson and Jackson Holiday are not getting traded away. Those two are going to have an every single day spot in that infield. Now, with Kobe Mayo playing third and first and Holiday and Gunner more, you know, Gunner plays third, but Holiday short and second. Maybe they don't fit in exactly to each other's same positions. But Gunner and Jackson are going to be in there every single day. You still have Ryan Mountcastle as your first baseman. And then between Jordan Westberg, Connor Norby, Joey Ortiz, like you've got a lot of other infield options. And all of those guys have already been in the bigs, whereas Kobe Mayo has not yet. And maybe Kobe Mayo probably does have a higher ceiling than Jordan Westberg or Connor Norby or Joey Ortiz. But it's tough to crack through. And so even if right field doesn't become like that, yeah, that's now his only position. Even if it's just a part in his arsenal where you can trust him to play right field in the major leagues and you can still put him at third and you can still put him at first, that makes him so much more valuable and so much more versatile. One of these infielders is going to get traded, but a lot of them are here for a while. If you look in the outfield, two years from now, the Orioles outfield could look completely different. Anthony Santander is a free agent after 2024. I don't see the Orioles, unfortunately, re-signing him. I would like them to do so, but I don't see them extending him at all. Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes, both free agents after 2025. Now, I don't see the Orioles trading either of those guys this offseason, but to be honest with you, I think the Orioles will trade one of Hayes or Mullins probably next offseason before they head into their final year of the rookie deals. And also, you think about the two top outfield prospects that have been in the big leagues already. That's Heston Kerstad and Colton Kowser. It seems to me, because the O's really want to hold on to Mayo, they really want to hold on to Samuel Basayo, and of course they want to hold on to Jackson Holiday. Those, for a lot of people, are the Orioles' top three prospects right now. I feel like if the O's are going to make a trade anytime between now and opening day of 2025, if they're going to make a trade for a top-of-the-rotation type starter, it just feels like either Kerstad or Kowser is going to have to be involved in that trade. So if you think the O's are making that deal, you're going to go into... 2025, and here's the thing about Mayo, right? I think he should and could be in the big leagues at some point this year, but I don't think his impact really starts to be felt for the Orioles until 2025, which is kind of why I'm looking ahead a little bit more for Kobe Mayo. But if you get to 2025, most likely Santander's gone. One of Hayes or Mullins is gone. And potentially if they make that deal, one of Kerstad or Kowser is gone. So you stare at the Orioles outfield, and at that point as well, Ryan O'Hearn, is a free agent after this season. Who knows if they're going to bring him back. So you're looking at the Orioles outfield in 2025. Let's say they... Let's say they deal Kowser. Or let's say they deal Kerstad. They keep Kowser, right? You got Kowser in left field. Let's say they deal Hayes and keep Mullins. You've got Mullins in center. Well, Santander's gone. Kerstad's gone. O'Hearn's gone. I mean, and the lesser guys like Ryan McKenna are probably gone at that point. There's not even like a penciled in right fielder. And yes, you know, Enrique Bradfield Jr. and Dylan Beavers and Judd Fabian prospects like that will certainly be knocking on the door to the big leagues in 2025. But Kobe Mayo is better than all those guys and he'll be much closer to the bigs and will probably get at least a cup of coffee in 2024. If Mayo shows that he can play right field and be kind of that right field first base DH guy, but who also 
has the ability to play third base that you know someone like a Santander or a Ryan O'Hearn or a Heston Kerstad who's been in that role does not have the ability to play third. That makes him even more valuable to this team. Kobe Mayo, I don't think it's out of the question that Kobe Mayo is the Orioles' opening day starting right fielder in 2025. I think that's more likely than him being the opening day starting third baseman in 2025. And that is why for me, because you look at 2025, you could have Holiday, Henderson, and Westberg just taking up those spots in the infield, and Mountcastle will still be there over at first base, and you still got Ortiz and Norby and more infielders coming. I think the outfield's more open. And if Mayo shows he can do it, that bat is ridiculous that Kobe Mayo has. It is the best raw power in the Orioles system. Walks are getting better. Strikeouts are getting better. Everything's getting better and better for Mayo. He's looking like a true impact bat at the big league level. So any way you get him in the lineup, you can. And as long as he can play right field, and listen, the O's have sent Anthony Santander out there a lot. He's not perfect, but he's gotten better, and he's a solid right fielder. If Mayo can get to that level, which I think he can, honestly, he is more athletic than Santander is. I think he can do it. I think that's a huge jump for Mayo to get every single day playing, and I very much do endorse him making a potential move out to right field. But one more thing to get to here on an Orioles News and Notes episode. O's made a minor league signing. Yeah, this name not nearly as big as Kobe Mayo or as James Paxton, but it's someone joining the O's system. And you know on this pod, we're going to talk about him and how they may fit in. That is coming up next to finish off the pod. But first, this episode of the Lockdown Orioles podcast is also brought to you by Jace Medical. Now, you've heard me talk about Jace Medical a few times on this podcast, but you know, at this point, sometimes it can be tough you know, at pharmacies to get antibiotics. Sometimes they are running out of things because we're in the middle of a time when a lot of people are needing medications. Well, in steps the Jace case from Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses. All you got to do is visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It'll be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It's never been more important to be prepared than today. Go to jacemedical.com and use the offer code Locked On to get $20 off your order. So to finish things up here on a Monday episode of the pod, I just want to talk a little bit about Errol Robinson, who the Orioles signed to a minor league deal last week. And let me preface this with two things. One, good chance Errol Robinson does not play in the big leagues for the Orioles this year. Probably play a lot at AAA, will not play in the big leagues. Two, again, there is no reason to get upset about minor league signings. Every single team already this offseason, I checked, has made at least two minor league signings. Everybody from... You know, the Dodgers and the Rangers and the Braves, all the way down to the Rockies and the A's. Everybody brings in minor league players because they are low risk, right? Could be high reward if they break. But if they're low risk, you basically pay them nothing. You invite them to spring training. They don't make the team. You either cut them or you put them in AAA as depth. There is no downside to bringing in minor league deals. The Dodgers, I believe, one of the best runs and most successful organizations in baseball who have added Shohei Otani and Yamamoto, and Teoscar Hernandez, and Tyler Glasdale this offseason, I believe have t- signed 12 players to minor league deals already this offseason. I just don't understand people getting worked up about minor league deals. There's no reason to. The Orioles have signed Errol Robinson to a minor league deal. He is a 29-year-old utility player, stands at 5'10", who hits right-handed and played basically every position 
on the diamond last year in the minors. He played third. He played short. He played second. He played left field, center field, and right field. All he hasn't done is catch, pitch, or play first base. Errol Robinson, who was a Dodgers sixth-round pick in the 2016 draft out of Ole Miss, one of the best players in the SEC that year, is from the area, grew up in Boyds, Maryland, and played his high school baseball down at St. John's College High School in the D.C. area, one of the best private school baseball high school programs in the area as well. Now, he was not a top 30-ish prospect in the Dodgers system, but was kind of one of the guys who gets mentioned on the outskirts of their system in write-ups for a while. And he did get to AAA, I wouldn't say super quickly, but he was drafted in 2016. And in 2019, he was in AAA with the Dodgers. He was one step away from getting to the big leagues. But then after he had hit enough and played really good defense throughout the minor leagues, he just didn't hit at all when he got to AAA with the Dodgers in 2019. Now, of course, no minor league season in 2020. And after that, he was selected by the Reds in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft in December of 2020. He split the 2021 season with the Reds in AA and AAA. They didn't get into the big leagues. He gets released. He signs a minor league deal with the Cardinals, and he spent the last two seasons in the St. Louis Cardinals minor league system. Now, the Cardinals gave a lot of chances to position players over the past couple of years, but Robinson just was not one of them. In his time in AAA with the Cardinals, that is the Memphis Redbirds in 2023, he had 148 plate appearances and hit just 222 with a 338 on base and a 286 slugging. 14% walk rate, pretty good. 26% strikeout rate, pretty bad. Zero homers, did steal five bases, but had a 67 WRC+. plus. Essentially, he was 33% worse than the average AAA hitter in 2023. The bat is not why the Orioles signed him to a minor league deal. And quite frankly, they didn't sign him to even play that much when he ends up in either AA Bowie or AAA Norfolk. What 29-year-old Errol Robinson is here to do is to be a defense-first, veteran utility guy who can literally, and I bet he could play first if you put him over there, can literally play every position besides catcher on the diamond and play it at least to an average level. Like he looks pretty solid at all of those positions, which, you know, despite not having the bat to get to the big leagues, that's still a guy that teams want in their systems. Let me tell you this right now. He's probably going to start the year on AAA Norfolk's roster. What he's not going to do is take at bats from Connor Norby or take at bats from Joey Ortiz or take at bats from Kobe Mayo or take at bats from... Kyle Stowers or take at bats from Hudson Haskin or Dylan Beavers or Judd Fabian or whomever is there. He's not taking at bats from any of those guys. What he is there to do is when those guys need a day off or a couple of those guys gets injured or whatever always happens at the minor league level and you always need more depth, he is there to step in at every single position. He might have, you know, max 150 plate appearances next year, just popping in here and there. It is just a nice little depth piece to have coming at AAA and give your other guys a break. And he's been around. It's nice to have a veteran of the minor leagues in the system as well. Hey, I always like when the O's bring in depth. Errol Robinson, a local guy, also another depth piece for this Orioles system. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Because I only got you two episodes last week, looks like I'm going to give you a four-episode week this week to make up for. What we've got coming up later in the week, we got a mailbag coming up, so make sure to get your mailbag questions in. LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com is the email to send them, or you can put them right here in the YouTube comments on this video. Also got another news and notes episode coming up. We're going to talk about the international signings, which uh, are going to come out tomorrow, what the Orioles international class looks like. The O's also released 
four minor league players, some of them who I liked, and we're going to talk about why they made those decisions. And, of course, keep you updated later in the week. Do everything going on on the hot stove are the O's going to be able to get Dylan Cease, another pitcher? Are they adding to this rotation? What's the move going to be? That's all coming up later this week on the podcast, and we are back tomorrow. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.